Hello and welcome to the very first episode of a little something we've decided to call the Do A Broom Book Club, a show to provide a space where we can sit down on mic and share our thoughts on the campaign. Yeah, there's going to be a lovely little intro that'll play right here. I can hear it now. It's like it's in the room. Incredible. I want that kept in. <laughs> we'll find a way. We'll find a way to keep it in. I'm Amadeus. I'm Darwin. And we'll be your hosts. And joining us for this episode, the man behind the curtain and our GM, Andy. Hello. And that's Andy, everybody. So let's go ahead and <laughs> let's go ahead and jump into the episode here. We're going to begin with a recap of everything up to present at the time of release, at least when this should come out. Beginning with a colossal pyramid standing alone in an ocean of sand, and of course we're talking about the tomb. This huge pyramid full of summoning circles, mysterious cults, various monsters. What were your thoughts on that, Darwin? Uh, the tomb is very empty, but it didn't feel empty. Every step I took in that place, something was going to happen to me, and it wasn't going to be good. Yeah, it seemed empty, but something awaiting around every corner. It was a pretty good atmosphere. Was that what you were going for with it, Andy? I would say when you guys had talked to me the first couple nights of just you guys saying this is just hell and like there was no order in here it's just battle royale that is essentially what is going on inside the pyramid a building full of chaos and at some point there was mentioned that there were other rooms like the ones you came out of of people being teleported even of different sizes yeah we were seeing all sorts of creatures basically any thinking creature seemed viable to get transported to this new world that this seemed to be the, the commonality, is intelligent creatures. See, the spell itself only quite works on creatures' intelligence 6 or higher. I'm kidding, of course. Oh, I was going to say, those are some smart fish. <laughs> and yeah, so we kind of run around this tomb for a bit. We get a feel for it. There's a lot in there, and it's um, very dangerous. It's a horrible place. I hated it. It was fun. It was amazing to play, but like I hated it. Yeah. No, I, I very much love dungeon delving as a player, and being in a giant dungeon just feels good to me. I, I'm, I'm a, all for it. It's a good place to be. And so, yeah, we're running around this pyramid. We run into this troll, fight the troll, quite a fight, leading us into an even more perilous fight between two factions, one of them being the Blackguard, a witch-based cult from Titema, and this mysterious monster based cult. I bet we talk about Blackout a little bit, because they have a history with the players, but not with the listeners. They do. Yep. And I'll let you guys talk about it. Well, to my understanding, in our, I suppose, prelude campaign, the Blackguards served as one of several antagonistic groups. Um, specifically in Titema, the Blackguard was running around 
capturing people, trying to build an army against the Tarlidian Empire. Yes. And we we actually had a run in with them as players where they ambushed us ambushed us on the road. Um, one thing led to another. We went back to their camp. That camp kind of ended in um, ashes. What's the word? Kai, kaiju fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, that, no, that was a kaiju fight. The the camp was destroyed in a kaiju fight. Um, it was a whole deal. We won't get super into it, but yeah, the Black Guard, this witch based cult. But so to be a little bit more specific, the Black Guard are an organization of witches. They're not necessarily inherently evil. But they're just an organized group of witches, and at the time of our prelude campaign, which takes place shortly before the podcast, they are controlled by some nasty groups of witches, and they're running around doing bad stuff. They are inherently evil, aren't they? No. Because they're slavers. No. Inherently, they're neutral. The slave thing's a new thing for them. Oh, yeah, it's a new development. Yeah. That was a part of this evil group that had taken control of it. And they okay. were now trying to punish the Empire by getting an army of slaves. Hmm. But that's not what they were doing constantly throughout time. A neutral faction with recent evil tendencies. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, like, I don't know when that group of Blackguard got shunted to the temple. If they're a group of the mean Blackguard, if they were a group of the generally neutral Blackguard, or what. Well, seeing as there was a bunch of them it almost makes me think that they have some sort of tie to this world that they're able to come here willingly but you know that's just a theory there's there's a lot of speculation on that they could just be a bunch who have just found each other i will say i do wish that because i had a plan that there was a little mission involving the blackouts like home base but uh just the time and like how long the campaign was and we were like, oh, we got to get to the podcast. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to cut it up and skip all the important stuff. So I'm going to bring things back a little bit to further along in this pyramid. Um, when we get into this combat with the Black Guard and this other mystery cult of bugbears, gnolls, goblins, no, kobolds, and giants, um, we're saved by... This crew sent by the Amastalan Empire, led by an Ifrit paladin with a tusked mask um, named Farian. Uh, that was kind of a fun interaction, seeing them coming down the hallway throwing fireballs. We thought death itself was on its way. I was um, kind of terrified looking to get out of there. I... I thought it was like a Deus Ex Machina moment for Amandi because that fight was not going well for us. No. Like, we, we, we might have been able to scrape by, but if we came out of that fight alive, it was going to be by the skin of our teeth. Fun uh, little tidbit here. That fight is um, has inspired me to do something mechanically where, um, seeing as Venetius makes talismans, when he gets to a high enough level, there's a talisman that lets you retrieve something from your bag as a free action. You, like, attach the talisman to the item, and that's going right on the grappling hook. Oh, man, that's, like, 
That's actually really cool. You could just you poof, should, grappling you hook. You make me some of those too when you can. I could put those on scrolls. And wands and you Give that anything. to the, the swat. Dude, I just want to have that for all my characters. When Especially I... Dr. Beak. If you could just go to Zeke's campaign and help out my little <laughs> my little poppet, I'd appreciate that. When I get high enough level, I'll, I'll hop campaigns. I'll stop by, give you some talismans. Oh, thank God. I think he can technically make them right now, but not for free. It'll cost him money mm. and time. But, no, oh, just a little little thing I wanted to mention that is coming because of that fight. So anyway, these guys save our butts and start leading us out of the pyramid. Question, Andy, do they have anyone else with them at the time? Or are they just going, grabbing a group, going back, going back in, grabbing a group, going back? And so how the system works, at least from how you've seen it, is that the one with the mask, uh, a Feywin. Okay, yeah. I wasn't reading it, so I can't remember. Farian. Uh, Farian, okay. Uh, he is essentially like the captain, the leader of it, and he seems to always be the one going back in there. Mm. Perhaps because of the power he has, it's... It's high level. He, he's also high level, you know. He did do a very fan, fantastic fireball all of you, so... I wish I'd spellcrafted that. I think I failed at the time. Yeah. You probably wouldn't have succeeded anyways. High level spell. Well, on top of that, you haven't never seen that before. It's a cool spell. It definitely needs some studying for sure. All right. Uh, but essentially, like he's always goes back in there when he always grabs some kind of group. So it's it's always like like a, a switching position. Theta, Harold, and the other one, the little gnome guy, stayed with you guys to get you situated, and then they were in charge of bringing people back. And then the the next group was to get more people in and. The, the, the key is is like how long they, they are in there. Uh, they see a lot of fighting, of course. They probably fought a lot more than you guys did. Oh, for sure. But for sure. Uh, with them having a very high-level person, you know, I don't know what kind of classes he is. I mean, I know, but you guys don't. Uh, they might, might go, go through the muck a lot easier. Especially if he just, like, chucks fireballs at everybody. See a Goblins! Troll. <laughs> Send a, a fireball's equivalent of acid at a troll. It's gone. He basically, his whole his whole character is he just changes the properties of fireball, but it's still fireball. Fireball, but it's cold damage. <laughs> Meta magic. I love it. So, following that, we are escorted out of the pyramid by Farian's team that he had with him he grabs a bunch of other people and as you said runs back in mm -hmm. while the people that were with him lead us out those people including um this dwarven ranger named theta and her husband harold um as well as a, a gnome that we i don't think ever talked to but they sure were present and yeah we emerge from the pyramid seeing that we're in this desert world brought down to these carts we start making our way to uh, the nearby town of Right Rune, during which Brayden begins his shenanigans. There is a moment I do want to talk about up in there. Um, we we leave we leave the pyramid, and then Harold gets immediately marked for death by Andy. He does. There was some what are you talking there. about? No, it was Theta. <laughs> uh, no, you you immediately marked Harold for death, but I thought you were gonna wait a little while longer. <laughs> Uh, some time to like to like really get to know and love the NPCs. But no, no. It's... Then Andy just up and nope. Harold dies, and then what was really left wing for me is then Theta's off into the distance. Theta's either dead 
or we're going to see Theta dead later as she died escaping and then dies. Or we're going to come back and almost be able to save Theta, but she's going to die in her arms. Now that would be tragic. I have no hope for her survival. I just don't know how mean Andy's going to be about it. Andy, do you have anything you'd like to uh, hint at on the status of that poor dwarven ranger that served as a decoy? Do you know the rule of thumb for deaths in movies? If they died off screen, they didn't die. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Of course, this isn't a movie, but... Yeah, you have killed people off screen before. Many times. Or did I? See, that, but I, I'm... <laughs> the way Andy keeps saying, if the death happens off screen, it doesn't happen. Theta's going to come back on the screen and immediately die before we can really do anything about it, just so Andy can drive the knife home. That's, that's a 100% thing Andy would do to the party. I do collect knives. God, can you imagine... If she's like, we, we finally see her again. She's like running. She, still, she's been running for months. But she's still <laughs> going. <laughs> and just as we see her. Just when a bit of hope sparkles in her eye. <laughs> an almond comes out from beneath the sand and swallows her whole. Uh, I'm waiting for it. No, They're not that big. Kind of but, but this almond in particular has the mouth of a worm. <laughs> for whatever fucking reason. Um, and unhinges like a snake. Uh, what was that? name of that movie uh tremors we have a tremors situation on our hands <laughs> so we jump on these wagons we make our way for right rune uh brayden decides to jump on a different wagon and is introduced to um the big bad evil guy of the campaign uh joe mama joe mama yeah i was about to say joe brayden no it is joe brayden there's there's brayden and then we have Joe Braden. Joe Braden is the enemy of the campaign. I thought that was Joe Mama. No, no, no. Joe Braden is Braden's alias name. Yes. And hence why Joe Braden is the enemy of the campaign. Oh, the <laughs> Braden okay. shenanigans are the, just the enemy of everybody. Andy, the party, yeah. Braden. Yeah. You, you're right, yeah. As soon as we're out of the pyramid, this is the first, the beginning of the shenanigans. Um, which kind of worked. He, he was... Uh, a lot safer from that almond attack yeah and so yeah this is the opportunity for uh, the foreshadowing to pay off theta runs off into the distance distracting this uh dune striding creature the almond and yeah there's a nice little highlight of the dangers that exist in this desert it's definitely going to be tricky traveling in this campaign yeah, so when I had first conceived of this notion of this campaign, and by the way, like, I, the idea of me making a desert-themed campaign came from me listening to, like, a very Egyptian-themed song, and I'm like, you know, it'd be so cool to make, a, like, an Egyptian-themed campaign. And then I just kind of really sat on that. Then I'm like, okay, what if they came from, like, a pyramid? And what if, like, they're stopped by, like, these Weeper-type of creatures? There you go. And then I really just, like dug my knife and not my knife but my <laughs> one of your many knives my many knives yeah this one is the this is the plot knife so mm. um i dug it really in and then just carved a nice backward plot and then i really just i think for when it comes to like this whole story of how everything functions and works i've had it in my head for over a year and then before we started recording of course i like i knew all the answers but then like what i needed to flesh out was titema and then to implement that into this other world. And Titema felt very fleshed out as it was. Totally it was. 
Ah. <laughs> but, but that's because we focused on it. Um, that's true. I, I did also flesh out uh, Drachma a bit. Uh, I, I, with some other friends, I did a little bit of the Leewood Holmes, which is like the island pirate area. Which that one is pretty fun, actually. Uh, it's just a fun place. Uh, imagine it like extreme capitalism. It's kind of... <laughs> Okay. That's kind of how that place runs. So, like, um, like America, like the U.S. A lot more. Oh, okay. Yeah, it basically, instead of running for mayors, uh, instead of mayors, we have corporate leaders, and those are the captains of the Leewood Homes. So, the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you really think about it, <laughs> in some facets of America, then yes. I did. The U.S., but they're not pretending. <laughs> Throw some hot takes on this show. <laughs> yes, yeah, a lot more open in, in the air. Uh, they, they've accepted their corporate overlords. <laughs> yeah, but so, like, the whole concept of the Amen are essentially like Weepers. But, of course, they're not that. They're anything... But the, oh God, they're, I don't want to spoil anything. They seemed relatively mindless. If they could just be drawn off so easily and consistently from the sounds of it. So, makes you wonder what they really are. Or what they're really doing. Or what they're really doing. Because I doubt they need to eat if they live forever. But, moving from that, we finally reach uh, this town of Right Rune. This sprawling districted uh, city with tents surrounding high walls to protect from the dangers of the desert and I wanted to take a moment to kind of highlight some of those districts in that city because they were all very distinct and seemed to serve a very important purpose for each one yeah I'm with you on that one each district is important for its own reasons and I, um, on the note of these districts, I did want to talk about perhaps our favorite districts. Andy, do you remember what mine was? I told you the other day. Mm, Seaspire. Yes, the Seaspire district with the, the birds and the ponds and the people not bothering you. <laughs> That's the most important one. <laughs> Distinctly, everyone in that district minds their own business, and I'm here for it. It's the introvert one. Yeah. And no, it's I, like, I just want to fish. And go get some sleep. I could see myself as a person, just spending a lot of time in that district. It's very peaceful. Uh, I definitely like the political aspect of Seaspire, which you guys have to learn about, but that's very unique from the other sp- the districts. Really? Yeah. Interesting. You know, I, I can share a little bit, because I, I don't think it'll all come up, but essentially, like, it wasn't always a district. It used to be part of the uh, the one in the middle, which is the uh, Treluge. Yeah. Um, the trailers basically is the political stuff, and then the Seize Bio District was just, hey, we need to get some lakes going, so they had people moving there. And because they, the, the whole town was like, oh, p- please keep giving us water, please giving us fish, the person who was in charge of the water district was just like, you know what, we're sick of this, we need our own damn, like, district. And they kind of went on strike, and that ended up giving them their own district, and now they just meet a quota instead of okay. being, pun, no, in, pun intended, one dry uh, ah. <laughs> with their resources and most of the people who are from in ceasefire currently are from like leewood homes for example so the pirates and stuff 
or other similar districts. There's plenty of people from Papal Skelton, for example. Basically, anyone who works at the docks finds comfort in Seaspire. Okay. And it, because that's a pretty hardy place, uh, it's it's a place of sailors. Uh, right. And even though there was... Uh, you guys haven't even seen the map of Dooboom. Never mind. No, no, we haven't, actually. Yeah, you guys haven't no. seen that we yet. We have not seen a world map yet. Let's go buy a world map. Yeah, do that this session. Yeah, we'll do that this, this like, session. Hold on, before we continue this mission, we must go buy a map. Stop! <laughs> it's map time. Did you have any favorite districts, Darwin? You know, I really like the Wild Top District. I love druids in Pathfinder. They're really cool. I love the druid district. That was nice as well. Much like the Seaspire District, I could probably go live there and be left the fuck alone. Yeah, it's peaceful. Yeah, you can make money there if you want. I could make money there if I wanted to. So, beyond these districts, um, we have the very first thing to really happen in Right Rune. Um, Braden launches directly into a date, just immediately, um, at which he indicates us to follow him for a while. We do. We we quickly get bored of being third and fourth and fifth wheels. We're tired of being wheels. Yeah, there were too many wheels on that cart. We had to take a couple off. Brayden, he has his date. Um, we quickly get bored. We want to go um, explore this town. And I think I described it later. Um, because, you know, as, as his newfound allies, we did ditch him. Which is sort of on us. But it's also... I, I put it like, imagine if you were in a room full of your favorite thing, whatever that may be, be it a thing or an activity or what have you, and you were told to stand in the middle of the room and look at the floor. No one would be able to do that. I don't think so anyway. He also never really communicated with the party at all. And he just he basically, went, I'm going to go do this. You guys are going to go follow me. And this is how it's going to be. And the rest of the party was like, but what if... Yeah. Hear me out. We don't. What if we explored this new town in this new world? And so, yeah, that's what uh, Venetius and Aluna set off to do. And are promptly mugged. Yeah, that was a mistake. Yeah, I, I hesitate to say mistake. Because one of my things about Pathfinder, D&D, etc., is um, there, there's a lot of fights in towns of like, oh, these are muggers or burglars or, or um, thugs hidden around every corner. But you think about all these, um, these level one commoners going around every day just living their lives. Like surely not every time you go outside you're going to get fought by a bunch of thieves. Like that would be an unlivable society. Oh no, like going back, I would do the same thing again because like you're saying, I don't expect to walk out and get mugged. From a character perspective, I'm in a city, there's guards, there's people, why would I be mugged? Yeah. From a player's perspective, oh that was a mistake. And it's also just because, I mean, we get mugged, if we could put that fight into one sentence, um, Venetius rolled an at 20 and Aluna rolled an at 1. And you know, that, that pretty clearly defines our opinion of the fight. Yeah, we both rolled in with uh, basically the same plan. We set up defenses, and then we go offensive. And um, one of those plans went perfectly smoothly. The other failed as much as it possibly could have, I think. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I that's the most rolls I have failed in a row for a long time. No, Amadeus. Yeah. 
I feel like I must say to you hmm. as to why your lich plan didn't work. Are you curious? Sure. Okay, so. When you rolled your deception check to be a lich. Thank you, Xander. I just got flung something like a straw wrapper. It's really confused for a moment. Yeah. I feel personally attacked, but I'm going to let it slide. Let it slide this time. This time. So, you had rolled a deception check and you rolled really high. You rolled pretty decently high. And then, so, I rolled, like, against, the, like, the will DC or, like, the whatever DC. I, I forgot what I decided, but I'm like, okay, so they believe you. They believe what you're saying. Then I'm rolled, okay, so... Do they think they could take a lich? Yes. So, I, I had rolled, secondly, the, it was like, okay, so what do they know about a lich? And I rolled for the dude, like the Lido guy, and he has a high charisma but a low intelligence. <laughs> I rolled like a three, minus one, and then I'm like, it's a two. I'm like, this man doesn't know what the fuck a lich is. Oh no! So there were some people who kind of knew about like, oh, liches are known as bad mojo, and uh, also in Titema, liches are hood not seen. No one has seen a lich in a long time. Like, it's, like, it was during the, uh, uh, the Seraphite Age, uh, the, the Seraph Age, I mean, which is lore for Titema listeners. Essentially, what it means is, like, there were, like, five people who found out a way to gain a lot of power, and then it, they just kind of, like, took the world into, like, under their thumb, and a group of heroes stopped them. Not the players, mind you. It no. was just... It, this is just, like, history, like, hundreds of years old. For for our Pathfinder uh, lore fans out there, they're analogous to the Rune Lords. Yeah, they're basically, they're basically like the Rune Lords in a lot of ways. Flavored a little bit differently, but, like, they're really close in theme. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, like... The, like the five of them, like you had Volage, which was the undead one, which is the one located with Lich. Uh, I forget. <laughs> that was the only one that was mentioned last campaign, basically. Yeah. Uh, there was the one of Disease, which is she's like a mosquito lady, basically. Uh, she's interesting. There's one of like like Rampage. Uh, he was like a half orc or something. I haven't went down. I'll, I'll, I'll check them later. But yeah, they, they all represented something, and they oh, one was Lycanthrope. One was uh, that one was Nyx's character, who, which is interesting because oh. how to obtain the Lycanthrope because in my world is a lot different than the average. You know, you get bit by one. Yeah, he picked up a cursed dagger, didn't mm-hmm. he? Most specifically, he 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 started weeping souls with it. Oh, is that what he was doing? Yeah. Did he so, even know? He didn't know what he was doing, but he knew that he was, like, taking temp HP whenever he got a finishing blow on people. Ooh, temp HP. <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> Just consuming actual souls and not knowing. So, yeah, I, I definitely like to run the same themes and monsters that people recognize, but I like to make little twists on them. Just because I'm so tired of dealing with the same monsters over and over again. I want them to be different in a way. I also have my undead a little bit different, at least with their origins. Oh. Um, which hasn't been revealed entirely yet to players, but like like Lycanthrope right there was just like, okay, so Bite Mark doesn't transfer the curse, what does? It's more like actions. Hmm. Like your own personal choices and the items you carry is one of the ways you can become a Lycanthrope. Interesting. So, or you could be born it. That's, that's still pretty, that's still an option. Um, 
but the alley fight, yes. So yeah, so liches weren't exactly known, um, and I rolled really low, and so this guy was just like, he's a lich, whatever, we could take him. Which is a, it was a flaw in the plan of like, oh yeah, liches, you forget as an adventurer that liches aren't like common knowledge, you know, not everyone's going to know what a lich is, uh, and let alone have like a, an idea of um, how terrifying it is. Yeah, this was mostly like a flat check in a lot of ways, like if he rolled anything higher than like a six, hmm. then he would have just went like, okay, okay, I, I know lich is a bad, bad mood mojo. If he knew what a lich was, would that have succeeded? Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't have gotten into a fight at all. Yeah, yeah, because because well, at least not for him. I think maybe like the like the 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 the, the, the tough human barbarian guy probably would have still fought. Yeah, because he he's his special character. Mm. I like I have little personalities for any time I play like named characters, and they, they, they slap names on them just because like they could become important later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, since he was the leader in the charismatic one. Uh, he was the one that made the decision, basically. And since I rolled so low, I'm like, like, you know, like they're afraid in, in a way, and they believe you're a lich. And who knows, maybe if there's talk in town that the lich has showed up, then that might be a consequence to the de- deception. But well, we well, uh... that I will say that deception might not have worked then, but you might be able to use it as ammunition later. I might. So that is a possibility, of course. I, I do suspect um, this is probably not the end of our interactions with these blood sands. And that does lead me to what I was going to mention earlier, is that this wasn't even a, a random run-in. We were actually targeted, which we found out from uh, Librin or the nosy martyr who intervened in that fight, explained that this um, this gang, the blood sands, will watch for idons coming in from you know the old world and, and joining society getting their little sign up bonuses and then taking those sign up bonuses yeah which um yeah explains why we were targeted but in the future we'll we'll probably be able to get around them hopefully unless we decide to go pick a fight with them which might happen but we no, talked knowing to... you as a player Amadeus yeah I think you would pick a fight with him. I'm ready to pick yeah. a fight with him. You're the most aggressive wizard I know. Uh, Vidicius is a blaster mage. He, <laughs> that's what he does. Evocation mage just means... Uh... <laughs> Can I destroy it? No. No, it's not my uh, prerogative. <laughs> it's not my focus. Yeah, it's not my area of expertise. Can't be blown up. That's what I'm here for. There you go. I will say having uh, two very heavy spellcasters in the party and then two very martial classes, it does make this party dynamic very interesting. No one, there's no like straight healer. There's no cleric or holy person. Like Zeke's the closest holy person, but that's just like part of his character, not so much his. I wore. I mean, there's there's a patron deity connected to my character as a witch. Of course, but like I still don't think patrons as like deities things. It's more like. Because, like, a cleric worships, you just, like, have a contract, basically. I mean, what's a contract but a more formalized version of worship? It's a business relationship. Worship you, on paper. You you got me, though. <laughs> I, so, I can't argue with that. I am a more efficient cleric. <laughs> I'm a pragmatic cleric. There you go. <laughs> So we wrap up this fight in the alley, right? 
we go finish our exploring. We meet back up with Angel, and the three of us go meet Libran at his little shack in the... What was the name of that district? Lunor. Lunor. The Lunor yeah, district, Lunor. yes, with the, the churches and so forth, um, where he asks us to look into these deaths occurring in the local jail, um, people just getting crunched in the middle of the night, and the guards not really doing anything about it, where we cut to Brayden in jail. Because his day ended with him drinking in a bar, <laughs> into unconsciousness, and, uh... Dude, if I had a nickel, if every time my dates ended me in prison... Let alone a Tarlidian bar. He's from this opposing faction, and he's openly not a fan of Tarlidia. Um, some might argue he put himself there. I mean, also in the perspective of Brayden, the Tarlidian and the Drachma War has been going on for almost two decades, so... And- Brayden's like mid-twenties, I think. So his whole life, he's known that they were in war with Talidia. Which was really just um, over an ancient dispute, wasn't it? No. No? At least what you guys found out last campaign, it was to harvest that one gem. Oh, yeah. There's a resource they're fighting over. The, they're fighting the over a resource. Lemokite, I think. That sounds right. The, the reflective shield that thing that you had. Very powerful resource. Yeah, very powerful. And they found out that there was some in Drachmos, so Talidi invaded to... So it's a war for money. It's yeah. a war for oil, if you will. Classic. <laughs> and so, yeah. You you gave you gave Brayden a spider's thread. And that, was, that was Andy's first mistake of the podcast. <laughs> Like, granted, this has come to my favorite moment in the podcast, but, like, Andy had plans. See, he was given an option. And those plans felt utter ruin for Andy. The thread descended from the sky. Andy, do you have any thoughts on that? Um. (laughs) As a dungeon master... I think it's very important to expect and to even, like, allow your players to ruin your plans because it makes things a lot more interesting and fun for you. So when I got asked the question by, I think it was Nyx that said, like, hey, does he have a hairpin at least? I'm like, okay, that can be worked as an improvised lockpick. If I give Bane a lockpick, he might try, he's going to try to break out. But it's a good lock as DC 20 at this level, which, and he's got like maybe a plus six, you know, he can't quit failing. He has a pretty good chance to not get out. Forgot that he's a luck build. I, uh, so when he asked me that question, I was fully aware, like, okay, I could just have all my plans ruined. So I got, I like sat there and processed everything that could happen with him breaking out. And the plan I had for the scenes I was going to show him, I just kind of rewrote them in a way, in a different order. To make it more cohesive, because I had a certain path of like this was more of like a cutscene than anything. That's what I had anticipated it. But with Zeke breaking out, it became more of like a like a sequence of actions. So I think the reason why I was able to do that so quickly is because of my experience as a dungeon master. I have I don't know how many times Zeke has pulled this shit on me. <laughs> this isn't your first rodeo with plans going absolutely haywire. So. Absolutely, that's um, a good player read to go. If I give him an option to escape, he's definitely going to use it. It's not even a read. It's just a it's just a fact. It's just a yeah. fact. Especially a, a player like Zeke who just always wants to move. Uh, so yeah, he got out and then he started the prison break, and I'm like, okay. So I think like when he did that. Um, 
the next couple of sessions, I, I, the next couple of weeks, I was thinking, like, what this could lead to. What exactly does the prison break in this already pretty tight uh, community with pretty stressed out, like, political figures? What's that going to do? So, <laughs> I'm interested to see the fallout from this. I, the, it definitely is a chain, I would say. Um, and uh, I definitely have come up with my resolutions of what's going to happen. But, yeah. <laughs> that was definitely a very big, oh fuck. Like, this is this is going to change a lot of plans. Because with, with preparing for this campaign, I have, like, so many quests lined up in this area. Some of them are no longer accessible because of this. Oh. The, or at least they, they've changed dramatically. Interesting. Like, say, the uh, the jail mission that we were given? Hey, that's still possible. I'm, it's I'm not... still possible, but, like, there was plans involved with that, there and uh, those plans are now different plans. Yeah, I well, mean, you guys could easily do it still, but, like, it definitely depends on the approach, I will yeah. have to say. Which, you guys know my DM style. You know, I, I can I will very easily say no to failed attempts, e even if it means all my prep work is gone. Like, I, I, like to, I like to deal with that kind of realism. I like to deal with that whole like facet of like failure and success i really like to reward both i like it when my consequences when, when my actions have consequences yeah it's a sense of realism yeah that's why that's what i like to do that's why this campaign is set up as the way it is to have because like i have it set up that you guys can't do anything that you don't have the time to do it there you go so you have to make priorities and so yeah the uh the jail is currently turned upside down dealing with the the fallout of those events as Braden and everyone else in that prison broke out leaving us at the very end of that episode with a, a hint at a contact of angels a guy that seems to recognize her and has asked to speak with her and her team at a later time we'll just have to see where that goes in the future yeah things are happening with that it's weird I'm looking forward to see what else that breeds it's gonna be fun there's gonna be a lot to chew on and so now we're gonna go ahead and switch gears a little bit to the second part of our our show here a character highlight yeah hmm. each of these um first episodes we're going to take the opportunity to pull a player in talk about their character and really give you the listeners a better perspective of each of these characters because you know in shows like this characters are the show and the campaign is the show and with those two components you you'd like both to be well fleshed out so here we're going to give you a, a little bit of a, a window into Aluna, the witch darwin would Aluna. you like to talk about um what your approach to rping Aluna was what she's like perhaps her motivations yeah, so Eluna, as I've said before, she's a Witch of the Winter patron, and uh, I want to talk about her build first, because that has... She went through so many shapes. I still don't even know what your build is. Uh, my build is, I knew Venetius was going to be a blaster wizard, and I knew there was going to be two marshals, and I was like, you know what, I can be all of the utility in the world. So I became all of the utility in the world. I support the blaster by adding to the damage. 
I am really good at battlefield control, so I'll be able to shove things up into the marshals' faces and get everything lined up for them to have fun. So that's going to be my whole build throughout the campaign, is being utility and support. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think that's the best thing about playing druids, is I really like control spells that just, like, like I'm just going to, like, make the whole thing difficult terrain. Yeah. That's honestly my favorite spellcasters, is just, like, control spellcasters. I really like the spell Mud Pit. It makes a 20-foot cube of difficult terrain with absolutely no save for you, Andy. I hate that. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, originally, when I was looking, when Andy brought up the podcast, I was like, you know what, I haven't played for a while, a blaster. Like, I've never played a proper blaster caster. And then Ominous was like, I'm going to play Venetius. And I was like, okay, we're going to scrap that. So we were originally a storm druid. And my whole goal in the campaign was going to sit in fog clouds that only I could see through and make Andy suffer as I couldn't be hit. Yeah, I know we had like a two, three sessions with uh, Kenyon and Stevie. And then I remember you trying that build out a little bit. He got a a little bit of a taste of it. Yeah, it was was scary. I don't like it. It's really mean. Isn't that still the plan? Oh, it's still a plan. It's just happening at later levels now. I see. It happens next level. (laughs) Oh. But, um, so that was my original build idea. And then I heard there was going to be another blaster. And I was like, okay, I don't want to step on Amadeus' toes. We'll go a different way. I was like, we'll go with a, we'll stick with the druid theme and we'll slap witch onto it so I can get some cool utility stuff and we can move to battlefield control debuff stuff. I didn't like the build, so I went witch druid to do the same thing but with more debuffs. I didn't like it. And then I completely abandoned the witch because I thought up some character stuff which will come out in the campaign. But now she is a witch, geomancer, alchemist. So what that means is, depending on the terrain I'm in, different spells will have different effects. So like right now, we're in a big old desert. So whenever I cast fire spells in the desert, I can connect to the magic in the land, and I can make I can make them dehydrated by hitting them with a fire spell, imparting fatigue. Or I could do lots of different things based off of the environment, and I can change my environment to pull off tags I want. I can get Tremor Sense. I can fly because I cast an air spell. Or I can poison you because I cast a plant spell. So, like, there's a lot of really cool, weird twists I can do because of that. And I get a lot of utility. And our really only source of healing in the party is my Elixirs of Life from my Alchemist dedication. I think she came out... She's got a lot of really cool highlights like that. And she came out to be... She fills in a lot of holes that the party is missing, and she does it pretty well. I don't shine at any one thing, but I make everybody else shine brighter, which is a spot in the party I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, you're not a healer, you're just a support. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's an important role that should never be forgotten and eternally praised. And it's a lot more fun, I think, to play a support than a healer, in my opinion, because, like... I don't like just giving people health. I like to like give people buffs. That is because they are happier with it. Yeah, like yep. playing Lucos, my my bard in a Rise of the Runelords campaign is a lot more fun than playing Doctor Beak, because Doctor Beak is just an investigator, forensic expert, and he just battle medicines for a shit ton. Which is why I'm getting kind of bored with him. I'm trying it's to build. trying to increase his build a little bit to do alchemical stuff. But yeah, but like like playing a support though, I think is just a lot more fun in in these types of games. That's why I always like, 
I don't play clerics because they don't really do that well. They just heal, and the buffs are just kind of very specific sometimes. The Divine Spell List in Pathfinder 2nd Edition sucks, and I will die on that hill. Yep. I can kind of agree to that. It's a, it's a little limited sometimes. A little limited? Yeah. It's a lot of limited. Yeah. It's been getting better with most Like, spells. it has some crazy buffs. It has some really good heal spells. But, you know, it's if you want to buff and do healing, the Divine Spell is your friend. If you want to do anything else, like damage or debuffs, you struggle a little bit. And you're like, oh, yes, everybody uses this spell. Because it's the only spell. I will say Nyx's Cleric in um, the one shot that Ziki did, the Selene, the, like, cone blast of... That was cool. That was cool. It was like a... Like a, like a explosion of healing my all and i've once played a life oracle and the sheer number on my heal spells was stupid i was able to take the barbarian the character with the most hit points in the game and i could rubber band the barbarian all day long to andy's chagrin that was quite fun now based on what you've told me though uh your character, especially with being the alchemist and, and like, helping with... The... But both of you have done really well at just, like, building your character based off of my little player's guide of just yeah. making sure that this is... These are well-adapted and you're going to do well in this campaign. The things that need covered are covered. And, you know, I'm really proud of that. I'm really excited to see our party move through the whole campaign and a little bit we've done so far. It's been really cool on the build side of things. But more on the character esque things i think it all kind of ties in together especially with this character because i just kind of built it all off of her build when i was originally doing it and tweaked everything to fit the new build and all my class features so like originally iluna doesn't know where she's from she was found on a mountain called the shifting shifting mountain in palskelton which is like a northern very tribal nation in our home world of titema it's also kind of the HQ of the Druids. It's a restricted place. Only Druids can live on this mountain. So it's really weird that a young girl, like an elven girl, she was maybe five, six years old when she was found, just up there alone in an abandoned shack in this restricted place where she shouldn't have been. But she was actually found by a human wizard named uh, Gertra, who picked her up and raised her from when he found her but he wasn't supposed to be there he snuck onto the island some stuff went down but Aluna's character she tried to become a wizard her father tried to teach her his skills and it just didn't work out for her she wasn't ever able to cast any spells for one reason or another then she got some magical powers as she started to develop and show powers as a witch she, her father sacrificed his research and his life on the island to allow Aluna to stay and get the help she needed. So she's really just been this outcast because she tried to train as a druid, but that also didn't work out for her. She wasn't able to take any of the lessons really to heart. And she was always an outcast because of the way her magic works. It's not proper druidic magic. There's something weird. There's something else behind it. So she's always been an outcast. She's very alone but she's grown to like it that way um and being sent to this new place she's very reserved she's very quiet because she's out of her element she doesn't know what she's doing and she's kind of bumbling about being in a city 
is her worst nightmare. She got sent to this place on her way back home. She was out on a mission. She was excited to go back home and then get shunted to this new world further away than home than she's ever been. So she's unhappy. And I'm trying to show that through roleplay. She's itching to get back. That's all she That's all she wants to do. That's the only thing on her mind right now is getting back to her home. Because what else does she have right now? That's all she's known and that's all she wants. So there's some stuff going on there that'll come up in the campaign and I'm excited to bring that up. All right. Well, folks, I think we have ourselves a wrap. That sounds to me like a successful first episode of the Duo Broom Book Club. Yeah. What a gentleman's been, it's successful. I don't know. I don't feel dread about releasing it. It's the vibes, you know? The vibes aren't utter trash, so that's a success. Yeah. Vibe check passed. Therefore, the episode's good. Well, all right. That's how that works. I understand. Thank you all for joining us for the very first episode of the Do It Broom Book Club. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Read some more books, yeah. Come join our Discord. The link's in the description. So, follow us on our Twitter, D5 Dirty Dice at Twitter. Uh, We also have a Discord. There'll be a link in the description. Come join us. uh, Ask us questions. I don't guarantee we'll answer any of them on the podcast. If you have any interesting ones, we'll talk about it. Uh, Our music, our intro music is by Dash30. He's pretty cool. Check him out. He makes some ballin' music. Our ambience is by Michael Gelfie. Check out his Bandcamp, his YouTube, and Patreon. He does pretty cool stuff, and it's great that he lets us do this. Awesome. Thanks. Tell a friend. Rate us. Bye.